That's how Deb greets me every night when I come home. It's wonderful. <laughs> oh, good morning. Good morning. So, um, how many of you saw that when it first came out? You just gave away your age, man. You, that 1970s, <laughs> if you believe it, it was a love story. Love story, if you, you know, still great movie, make you cry, if you need a good cry, you know, put it on. Um, but Love Story is famous, maybe most of all, for one particular line in the movie that's used twice. It's used by Ellie McGraw's character. She, she says it to Ryan O'Neill's character early in the film, or somewhere in the middle of the film. And then, and then uh, Ryan O'Neill, repeats it to his father. I think it may be the very last line of the film. Uh, who knows what it is? Yes. That's the line. Love means never having to say you're sorry. I'll bet you've heard that line. You may not have even known where it came from, but you've heard that. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Eh, totally wrong, okay? <laughs> Don't listen to it. Uh, it, it's, a, it's, a one, it's a romantic line, but it is not a true statement, right, okay? In fact, we need to get really good at saying, I'm sorry, please forgive me, I do forgive you, right? Relationships will not succeed if you cannot say and, and respond correctly to those words. We're going to be talking today about love forgives. You know what's interesting? I didn't know this until I was uh, getting this uh, message prepared. Uh, there's a movie called What's Up, Doc? Are you familiar with What's Up, Doc? Barbara Streisand and Ryan O'Neill, who was in Love Story. Ryan O'Neill was in What's Up, Doc? Well, at the end of What's Up, Doc, Barbara Streisand's character says to Ryan O'Neill, love means never having to say you're sorry. And Ryan O'Neill's character responds, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Isn't that good? I love it. Okay. Love, yes. Love means we're going to have to say we're sorry. We're going to have to extend forgiveness, receive forgiveness. Um, there's, there's no real love without forgiveness being at work in that relationship. Uh, a couple of, of examples, uh, Immaculate Ilibagiza was a Rwanda, is a Rwanda woman. Uh, and back in the genocide, you may be familiar with her story, she's written a book about it. Uh, uh, back in the genocide, she hid in, in Rwanda. Uh, you know that 500,000 people at least died in that genocide when the Hutus uh, went to war or went to, you know, uh, to try to eliminate the Tutsi tribe. Anyway, Immaculate and five other women hid in a bathroom, three foot by four foot bathroom, for three months, uh, waiting out that horrible genocide. She begged God to give her the courage to face her death if it came to that. But she survived and later on met the man who killed her mother and her brother, and she forgave them. Can you imagine what it takes to get to that place where you can forgive the people that wanted to kill you 
and did kill your mother and your brother. I was reading a story this week uh, about a bus crash uh, happened in Humboldt, uh, Canada, or in Canada. It was a bus carrying members of the Humboldt Junior Hockey Team. And in 2018, a, a distracted truck driver, he was kind of a new truck driver, he was concerned about the tarp blowing on his uh, low behind him. Uh, he got distracted, uh, did not see the stop signs, went through the stop signs, crashed into a bus, killed 16 people on that bus, most of them young people, but also uh, at least one adult coach. And I was reading this article about this this week, and, and it was making the point some of the people of Humboldt are not ready to forgive the truck driver for what happened. We can understand that, right? Forgiveness is not an easy thing. It's not something we should take lightly or just jump into, right? Forgiveness is painful. The, the bigger the, the offense or the bigger the, the issue, right, the more, more pain is involved in extending forgiveness. So we can understand that. But some of the people um, are ready to forgive. And one woman said this, her husband was a coach, he was killed. She said she was committed to forgiveness. She said, for a while, I had to kind of think about it consciously. And I had to say it every day. I'm not going to be angry. I'm not gonna go down that road. It's easy to say that you forgive, but it's maybe a little bit harder to actually genuinely want good for him and want the best for him and to be able to live that out. The, the, the man who was driving the truck that crashed into the bus served prison time. He, 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 went, uh, he, he declined a trial. He, did, he said he didn't want to put the families through that, so he declined a trial, pled guilty, went to jail. Uh, he's getting released from jail, but he, he became a Canadian citizen. I believe he became a citizen in any event. He wasn't originally from Canada, and now because of a law in Canada, he's, um, they're seeking to deport him to India, his, his uh, country of birth. And this woman, when she says, you know, it's one thing to say you forgive, it's another to want good for somebody, what she's talking about is she's advocating that he not be deported, but he be allowed to stay in the country. Again, just think about what it takes to get to the place where you can not only say, I forgive you, I'm not gonna hold this resentment and anger and this desire for revenge, I'm gonna let that go, but more than that, I want good for you. I, want, I don't want you to suffer anymore for what you've done. That's huge, right? That's huge, and we should not take that lightly. We should understand that, that that's a hard process for a lot of people to get through when they've been through something as horrible as what she has experienced or what Immaculate experienced. But at the same time, forgiveness is something we're called to as Christians. This is like Jesus saying, love your enemies. This isn't a, I hope you'll think about doing this. Jesus calls us as followers of his to be people who are willing to do the process of forgiveness, to do the process of forgiveness. We're gonna talk about that today. And of course, uh, I'm gonna start with this point. God offers us forgiveness through Christ because of his love for us. We forgive because God has forgiven us. And to, to illustrate this, I want to go to an account in Luke chapter 7. Um, it's an account of a woman who's been forgiven by Jesus and a man who needed to learn about forgiveness and love. So in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. And as I read this, um, there are three main characters. There's, there's a man named Simon, 
who's invited Jesus to a dinner, Jesus, and an unnamed woman. And then in addition, there are some guests who are kind of around the scene. And, and I want to maybe encourage you to think about being a guest at this uh, dinner party and taking in what we're about to read. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love is shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We're at the house of Simon. Simon is a Pharisee. A Pharisee, as you probably know, is a person who, who prided themselves on keeping religious law. Uh, they prided themselves on, on, on keeping the rules, right? So they, they would, um, it wouldn't be unusual for a Pharisee to think, I'm a, I'm a good person, you know? I'm doing the right things, and God must love me because I keep all of his rules. Uh, that's where we are, Simon's house. This isn't Simon Peter, by the way. It's not Simon the Zealot one of uh, the other disciples. Simon was a very common name in the New Testament. There's at least nine people in the New Testament who are named Simon. So this is Simon the Pharisee. And we wonder, why, why does he invite Jesus to his house? The Pharisees and Jesus didn't have the most comfortable of relationships. So why would this Pharisee invite Jesus to come over for dinner? Well, you know, it might have been that, that he was truly and sincerely a seeker, that he was wondering, you know, uh, is there something to this Jesus? Should I be paying attention? It might be like some of the other Pharisees. He wanted to, to get an opportunity to trip Jesus up, you know, maybe ask him some questions, get him into conversation that would expose him as a fraud. We don't know. Uh, but I believe for sure that, that God arranged this moment for Simon as well as the others who were there. The woman, she's unnamed. She, you know, Simon gets a name, Jesus has a name, but the woman is unnamed, and, and that may be on purpose. You know, Luke might have been making a point about not naming her. He might have been uh, protecting her, okay, because she's a woman with a reputation. Um, or he might have been pointing out that to most of the people there, she would not be, she wouldn't warrant a name. She is, she's known around town. We know who she is. She's that sinner, 
She, she's the, that woman's a sinner, right? That's all that matters about her, is what many of the people might have thought. It's what Simon apparently thinks, is she's just a sinner. She, she's not Mary Magdalene, by the way. Mary, some people think they get confused. Mary Magdalene is named in the next chapter of Luke, so it's, it's not her. She would have been named here if it was Mary Magdalene. And she may have been a prostitute uh, that would have fit with her designation as a sinner, but we don't know for sure if she was. But she was well known as a sinner. We also believe that somewhere along the way, before this dinner, she has uh, put her faith and trust in Jesus. Okay, and, and I want you to, to really keep that clear. She doesn't get saved because she uh, kisses Jesus' feet and, and wipes him with her hair. That's not, why, that's not why she gets saved, okay? She has already put her faith in Jesus. How do we know this? Because at the very end of the story, right, what did we read? Jesus says to her, your faith has saved you. Uh, and don't get mixed up on that because it's so easy for us to think, well, if I just do the right things, like Simon, right? If I just obey the rules, if I, if I do good deeds for people, then that's all I need to worry about. But that's not all we need to worry about, right? We need to put our faith and trust in Christ uh, as our Savior, and she has uh, already done that. How does she get into the dinner, right? I mean, this is a good question. Simon the Pharisee is holding a dinner, and, and how does this woman find herself there uh, as one of the guests? You know, Simon's not going to invite her. She's a notorious sinner. He's not going to want her in the house. Well, um, most of the scholars think that, that this dinner probably happened in a courtyard attached to the house. And in this courtyard, people, uh, the invited guests would be around the table, reclining as they did, reclining on one side, their feet behind them, and then they would eat from the table. Uh, but that other people of the town could come into the courtyard and just kind of mingle around and kind of observe what was going on. So maybe that's how she got there. It really isn't important how she got there. The fact is she's there. And I thought about this in terms of us this morning. You know, we come, people come here for all kinds of reasons. Some of you come because, uh, you know, you're curious. Some of you come because someone has asked you to come. Some come reluctantly. Some come, you know, uh, uh, just really uh, sincerely seeking something. And, you know, there's lots of reasons people come to a church, right? It doesn't really matter how you got here. The important thing is having an encounter with Christ while you're here. And I, I hope that you will have an encounter with Christ while you're here. This woman doesn't hide among the guests. This surprises me, right? This is a woman with a reputation. You would think that uh, she would just kind of want to stay in the back, you know, just, just kind of watch what's going on, listen to Jesus maybe, but, but not make too much of her presence known. But, but she can't help but make her presence known. She loves Jesus. She's been forgiven. Her life has been changed, and she can't help but come right up to Jesus, regardless of what anyone else might think, and begin to, you know, get down, on, kneel on the, on the ground, and begin to, uh, to take care of him. She's crying, it says. Now, the Greek word for her crying is brekos, and, and it, it doesn't mean just a quiet kind of, you know, weeping. This is, uh, the word can be used for rain showers, okay, if that gives you the idea. She is just sobbing, okay? She is sobbing, which is why uh, she lets her hair down, which was a, a very immodest act in that culture, um, but she lets her hair down in order to wipe Jesus' feet. Again, there's no shame in this woman uh, in the terms of her exp uh, showing her love to Christ, right? Her life has been so changed. She doesn't care. She doesn't care what the people behind her think. She doesn't care what the people at the table think. She loves Jesus, and she's going to show it, right? I think we can learn so much from this woman, her courage and her bravery and her, uh, her, her open devotion to Jesus. 
So she wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. She pours perfume on them, and, and, um, and Simon takes all of this in, and he, he thinks to himself, right, if Jesus knew who this was, there's no way he'd let this woman do what he's doing, what she's doing, right? He'd tell her to stop, get out of here, right? That's what Simon thinks to himself. Doesn't say it out loud. He thinks if Jesus knew, yeah, maybe then he'd be a prophet. But since he doesn't know, can't be a prophet. And the irony is that the very next thing that happens is what? Jesus, having read Simon's thoughts, <laughs> turns to him and says, hey, listen, Simon, let me tell you a story. Two people had debts. One of them owed huge amount, okay, 500 days wages to this money lender. He, no way he could pay that debt back. Another one only owed 50 days wages to the money lender. Not nearly 500, but here's the thing. That guy had no chance of paying his debt back either. They're both in the same place. One owes a huge debt, one owes a, uh, owes a fairly small debt, but neither one of them had the ability to pay the debt back. And then the money lender says to both of them, don't worry about it. Wouldn't you love, come on, wouldn't you love that? If your bank called you tomorrow morning and said, hey, that mortgage of yours, don't worry about it. It's all taken care of, right? That car payment, it's done, right? Wouldn't we love that? Well, that's what happens in this story. Two people have their debts completely forgiven. And Jesus asked the question, who do you think is going to love that money lender more? And Simon says, and I love it, he says, I suppose... It's almost like he's reluctant. You know, he knows the answer, but he's reluctant to say it. I, I, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus says, gold star to you, Simon. You got that exactly right. And then he makes the application. He turns to the woman and he says, Simon, do you see her? And here's the thing. Simon never really did see her, right? All Simon saw was a sinner, a woman with a reputation. He never really saw her. And, si and Jesus says, Simon, do you see her? She is expressing all of this love because she knows how much she's been forgiven. She knows how much she has felt the power of love given to her. And that's where all of this is coming from. Her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. Forgiveness. We all need it. We need it from each other. We need it from God, right? We can deny our sin. We can hide our sin. We can run from our sin. We can embrace our sin. I've heard people say this. Yeah, you know, that's what I am, you know. Yeah, I got a temper. <laughs> that's what I am, you know. I just, I'm an angry person, right? We can embrace our sin. We can, we can regret our sin. But what we need is to be forgiven for our sin. What we need is to confess it and, and repent of it. And it doesn't matter if we have a great debt of sin or a small debt of sin. You know, David says something remarkable in Psalm 51. King David, after he commits sin against Bathsheba and has her husband Uriah killed, in Psalm 51, he, there's this line, against, he's speaking to God, he says, against you, you only have I sinned. And I, and I read that every time I think, no, that's not right, David. You also sinned against Bathsheba, you sinned against Uriah, you sinned against your people. You know, there's a lot of others you sinned against. But what's the point? David is saying, 
saying, my greatest sin, God, is against you. You put me in a place of leadership, of responsibility. You put me in a place where I'm supposed to be a person who shows what you are like, and I've done these horrible things, Lord. My greatest sin is against you. I can go to Bathsheba, and I can ask for her forgiveness. I can tell her I'm sorry. How do I make up my debt to you, God, who I have let down in these ways? We can try to hide, deny, cover up our sin, but, but it's going to keep us from experiencing the blessings of having our sins confessed and repented of. In Psalm 32, another psalm of David's, he says this, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, and my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. See, there's two kinds of people in the world. There's, there's those who know they are sinners in need of salvation and forgiveness, but they reject it. And there are those who are forgiven. There are those who are forgiven. We're one or the other. Simon was as much a sinner as the woman. He needed as much forgiveness from God as the woman did. He just didn't know it. So he hadn't received it. She knew it, and she received it. You know, it's God's desire to forgive us. That's why, of course, Jesus came. Jesus dealt with our sins at the cross, and he offers us release from all of our sin debt. It says in Colossians 2, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. You know what the Bible says about when God forgives our sins? They're removed as far as the east is from the west. It says he casts them into the sea. It says he forgets about them. Now, I don't think God can actually forget anything, right? But I think what that means is God doesn't think about them anymore. When they're forgiven, they're forgiven. It's not like us, right? Sometimes we, we, we say we have forgiven somebody, and then later on something happens, they annoy us or bother us in some way, and we bring it back, okay? Hey, you remember that thing? And they say, wait, you forgave me for that. Yeah, well, that was then. I'm upset now, okay? Right? That's not God. When God forgives your sins, they're forgiven. They're forgotten. In Christ, all of our sins, past, present, future, they're gone. They're gone. They're forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross. Well, what's our response to all this? You, you know what I'm going to say, right? As people who've been forgiven, we need to be people who forgive. Colossians chapter 3, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. This is how forgiven people show their love for Jesus. You know, we don't have Jesus physically in front of us, right? We can't do as the woman did, right? She showed her love for Jesus, which was a response to the forgiveness she received by going up to him in front of all those people and kneeling down and, and, and as her tears wet his feet, taking her hair and drying them. This is how she's showing her love for Jesus. We can't do that. Jesus isn't physically here, so how do we do it? Well, one of the ways that we do it is we love one another and we forgive one another, right? 
What did Jesus say in Matthew? As you do it for the least of these, you do it for me, right? So this is what we do out of love for Jesus. Henry Nouwen uh, said this about forgiveness. He said, forgiveness is the name of love practiced among people who love poorly. The hard truth is that all people love poorly. We need to forgive and be forgiven every day, every hour, increasingly. That's the great work of love among the fellowship of the weak that is the human family. That's us. <laughs> I like that phrase. We're the fellowship of the weak. We don't love the way that we know we ought to, but, but that's why we need to be willing to ask for and extend forgiveness. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks that you, first of all, uh, extended forgiveness to us for all of our sin. And quite honestly, Lord, I think it's taken me a long time to realize the depth of what that means, and maybe that's true for others here too, just how much you have done for us. But we thank you for it, and we ask you to help us to understand it more, and we ask you to, to help us through the Holy Spirit to be people who extend that kind of love and forgiveness to others. You know that's going to be a challenge for us on many occasions. But we know that you're going to help us with that because you want us to be people who love and forgive. So we praise you and we thank you for all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 It's been wonderful worshiping with you this morning here and online. The takeaway is from Colossians 3. We read this a little bit earlier. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. We are deeply forgiven people through faith in Jesus Christ. So we need to learn how to be people who can forgive, right? So I pray two things for you. I pray you go this week knowing that in Christ you are forgiven of all your sins, past, present, and future. And I pray that you go this week asking God, teach me how to be a forgiving, loving person. Go in the love of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.